Welcome to Pretty Good Vibrations, a show that both analyzes and celebrates the music of Justin Vernon, also known as Bon Iver, and the crucial role his music has played in my life and the life of my co-host today, Kristen Tideman. Uh, we're going to go through his career this week and next week from the beginning up to the present. So much cool stuff to talk about. So many cool records he's been a part of. Of course, that includes many excellent Bon Iver records, but also like six or seven other projects, some of which you've maybe never heard. Even if you are a pretty big Bon Iver fan, like seemingly everybody my age who is also white. Uh, if you don't know Bon Iver's music, then I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how interesting this will be for you. He is one of our greatest songwriters and producers, in my opinion. Uh, started out as kind of indie folk, uh, but has gone widely beyond that. So, you know, if you don't know his music, uh, stick around, see what you think. Kristen is a really good hang. We have a very fun chemistry, in my opinion. But all right, let's just get into it. Where's my last page? Oh, my, I might freak out. Oh, never mind. It's right here. <laughs> so you're, if I understand, you are searching for your sixth page of handwritten notes that <laughs> Let you me had go. misplaced? <laughs> I, so I took one for each album, official Boney Bear yes. album and the EP. So that's five. Then I have another page. And then, and this is <laughs> this is the part where I was like, I don't know if this is gonna fly, but we're gonna we're gonna do it anyway. I literally wrote a letter to Justin Vernon. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I just couldn't. I got so emotional. I think we but, might need to save that for the end, probably. Yes, definitely. Well, if anything at all. Also, I haven't read it. I think I was under the influence when I wrote it. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. This uh, was... The voice you, you're hearing, everyone, is Kristen Tideman. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Kristen has, is a collaborator on a, a handful of projects, mostly, mostly relating to my other podcast. You have permission, but excited to get you in here for a Pretty Good Vibrations episode. We are talking about Bon Iver, Justin Vernon. And actually, oh, yeah. really, we're talking to Justin Vernon and all his various projects, which includes the great indie folk art project, Bon Iver, whatever you want to call it now. Kristen, thanks for being here. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. You this were saying about the about the handwritten letter? <laughs> yeah, I had to do a little bit of research. I got very much like in the zone of when I have a test. Except mm -hmm. then there's like all these emotional ties to all of this Bon Iver content. Uh, so I was like going into the albums and then I was like, this has affected so much of my life. Yeah. I sent you those YouTube videos. Justin Vernon does these like one-on-one -on -one concerts with these um, people. There's at least two. I don't know if there are more. I don't know if you had the chance to watch one of them. I don't think I watched those. No. Totally fine. First of all, somewhat awkward. Like to have someone playing a concert for one person. One person, they're Very standing, awkward. they're right in front of you. But that being said, that's my dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote a letter. Um, it's like your Make a Wish uh, <laughs> version. Yes. So actually, if something goes wrong with me, if I get cancer, <laughs> that's your best bet. That's really your best shot if something goes wrong yes. with your health. Well, we won't, we won't root for that. What we are going to do here today, 
I promise there will be some structure to this episode, which will almost definitely be a two-parter. Uh, we're going to go chronologically through Justin Vernon's musical yes. career. And we'll obviously focus especially on the Bon Iver releases. But there's a lot to cover. And spoiler alert, pretty much all of it rules. Ugh. So he's, so much. He's really he's got to be, you know, for sort of roughly our generation, mm-hmm. millennial slash young Gen X, um, that kind of whatever that generation is. He's got to be top five living artists. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable oh, what he's done. Yes. And keeps Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Yes. Concur. <laughs> so I asked you, I was like, hey, I want to get you on an episode who or what you know like you want to talk about an artist you want to talk about an era and you said i want to talk about you You, there was no hesitation your eyes lit up a huge smile crept across (laughs) your face and you were like justin vernon so why oh my gosh well if you'll recall when you first were telling me about your idea for this uh new podcast i was like ah this seems pretty niche who's your audience And then I was like, oh, depending on the subject matter, I'm your audience. (laughs) And I think it's also hilarious that I'm on this at all, because if we're going to talk about music, the amount of like technical music knowledge I have is almost none, despite having taken piano and had a lot of people try. There's a long story about my band teacher giving me a French horn to take home to learn how to play it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't play any any uh brass wind instruments at all <laughs> at all he just gave it to me and then he gave me another one and my mom's like stop bringing these french chords home <laughs> but um yeah so there's but- a long trail of bodies of people who tried to give you music education over the years i i mean i would say yes and part of me wanted like i always loved you know singing and i mean music in general obviously shapes our lives i would say in this era uh in the common era but justin vernon has so many (laughs) has so much emotional gravitas and Mm -hmm. and that's not just for me i asked a bunch of friends there's so many people i know who are like oh like i fell in love listening to this album or oh this happened you know in this year when like oh blood bank came out or whatever and it's that's such a common shared experience. Yeah. It's just, it's both personal, but then you're connecting with someone else and it's this like, Oh yeah. Like I love this. Yeah. And I don't even know what the lyrics are in the song, but it's yep. so, so intense. So yeah, I ha- I had to, I couldn't help it. I'll just scoop myself early and give you my theory for why he, his music is so far reaching. Please. I think he's got the perfect combination of two things. Okay. On the one hand, he has the vision and chops and experimental leanings of a true artist. Mm. He's taking chances. He's trying weird shit all the time. So arty listeners love what he's doing. Yeah. But the second thing is that at his truest core, he is an 80s soft rocker. (laughs) Okay. Phil Collins, Bruce Hornsby, Bonnie (laughs) Raitt. He just wants to, he just wants to love and help you feel love over warm synth pads. Uh, And like, so that combo is very unique. mm. 
Okay. May, like the 1975 approach that sort of, you know, they've got that 80s, 90s yeah, thing yeah, yeah. with the pop thing. But there, I can't think of anybody who does this like JV does it. Probably don't know enough about the 80s, but may, like maybe this will spark a whole new wave of uh, me investigating the era. All right, Kristen. So Justin Vernon, Justin DeArmond Edison Vernon. <laughs> Can you That's believe? his full name. His full name. Born in 1981. He's two years older than me in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where he still <laughs> lives and works most of the year. This is one of the themes. He's got a real sense of place, a yes. sense of home. So many of his songs are named after towns and states and all of that stuff. Really rooted in place. Uh, and I, th I really actually think it's very cool that he has sort of decided to stay you know, mm, and not mm -hmm. move to New York City, not move to L.A., you know, or whatever. I No, I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. So he's born in Wisconsin. Um, there is a great little clip that I'm going to share here from an interview he does on the Colbert Report around the release of the self-titled, uh, mm. where he's talking about college. First of all, Colbert says when he finds out that his name is Justin DeYarmond Edison Vernon, and that he plays by under the name of Bonavere. He says, you're the only person I know whose stage name is less pretentious than their real name. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so awesome. <laughs> Which is so good. Okay, but then here's here's Colbert's bit about, uh, and, and a little bit about uh, Justin's college experience. You were actually a women's studies major. Yeah, yeah, way back in the, in okay. the day. Okay, yeah. why? <laughs> who, were, who, who, who was she? Is what I'm right, asking. Right, right, right. Uh, I mean, back back in '99 when I went to college, I think I was studying philosophy. I wasn't really ready to study music, and and uh, I just you look at the world, and there's 50 percent or more of the people that are female, and it seems like it, everything's kind of a boys' club. And I just thought it was kind of like weird that that was the case. And mm -hmm. that's I, it, it was my minor. It wasn't my major. Your major but, was yeah. uh, religious studies. Okay, so religion and women's studies. Did you just go into the registrar and say, just make me feel guilty? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about influences before we get mm. to any of his records. It's hard to know with an acoustic artist, someone who starts off primarily playing acoustic guitar and singing, it's mm -hmm. very slippery to try and go, oh, they sound like this other of... 15,000 acoustic and vocal artists, you know, yeah. from yeah. time immemorial. I do have a couple guesses though. And I think that Red House Painters, which is Mark Kozilek's band before he did Sun Kill Moon and before he put out solo records, uh, you might also know him as the bass player in Stillwater in the film Almost Famous. Mm -hmm. um, this, this 1996 track, uh, Have You Forgotten?, which is an all-timer for me. I think you hear a little bit of what Bonavere does in the acoustic guitar work, especially. Wrapped in white sheets Like an angel from a bedtime story Especially that right there, that guitar mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Shut out what they say Cause your friends are fucked up anyway you hear what I'm saying? I definitely hear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm uh, in a little cabin in Wisconsin myself now. 
<laughs> so I talked a little <laughs> exactly. I talked a little bit about you know the acoustic thing on one hand and the kind of '80s soft rocker on the other. And uh, he mentions in some interviews Bruce Hornsby, mm-hmm. um, f- in particular this song "The Way It Is," which is also then sampled by Tupac for the song "Changes." So people <laughs> might actually know that song more. But listen yeah. to just the intro of "The Way It Is." Uh, the sort of piano and synth work. I mean, that's... That's the DNA, right? Wow. Yeah. I mean, and if I uh, did my research correctly, didn't Bruce Hornsby then collaborate with Justin Vernon later on as well? I have not. I didn't come across that. I believe it. I love it. I, I was going to say, because I, well, yeah, again, studying for the test of Justin Vernon, it <laughs> seems like people were kind of actually, I think, calling him out for that as well, like saying, oh, this sounds Bruce Hornsby-esque. And then later on, he's like, Let's get him in here. Get him involved. Let's do it. I think that if uh, this part, I'm not as sure on, but I think that wasn't until maybe it was 22 million, but I think it was probably II. Um, But yeah, maybe we have a, where's our fact checker, you know? (laughs) Where's our live? Oh, we don't have one. Oh, wait, I'm just just getting this. Yep. We don't have one. Okay. Uh, nice. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk more about collaboration because that's a huge theme for him. Uh, it's going to sure. become very clear later. I know that mm-hmm. he, he talks about the Indigo Girls a lot. Um, he talks about John Prine, uh, the the singer songwriter. Um, I don't know. Did you have yeah. anything else you wanted to hear while we're talking influences or just anything to throw in there before we get to his recorded music output? For sure. Um, Well, I would say like almost I think if you kind of take the lyricism of John Prine and like that heartfeltness Mm. with maybe that 80s synthiness, like I almost feel like that's a little bit of the recipe, you know, like, yeah, it's it's both, which is why it hits for I actually think that's why it hits for more people is because it's like, yeah, for me, I'm like, oh, I kind of like that folksy side. And also as I evolved and got older, especially if you kind of I feel like hit, you know, college around when some of his early albums were coming out. It's like, oh, well, now I also like more of the, you know, synthy, not just like strummy guitar stuff. It was it was awesome. I mean, it was everything. And then, of course, uh, the Indigo Girls uh, for, you know, if you look up Justin Vernon tattoos, he has the one (laughs) phrase on his chest. Uh, I don't know if you just happen to find yourself. You know, you just come across a Google results page of Justin Vernon tattoos. Like for those of us for whom that's happened, you know, if for some reason your fingers accidentally type, I think you're making your case for a one on one concert worse here. So, yeah, Dan's intention is to prove some stuff about music. Mine is to get an individual audience with Justin Vernon where I propose to him. But um, I don't know if that... this is going to help. Okay. But well, whatever. <laughs> no. So that line is, I said, remember this as it should be. 
<laughs> which okay the indigo girl song that it's from is called fugitive and i got into it because i knew it was this tattoo do i listen to the indigo girls normally absolutely not but that song kills it's so good and in some of the interviews like he talks about uh because the indigo girls are famously uh lesbian like as a as a kid that that was influential too and i think comes out later in themes that like the shared humanity and seeing people for who they are like and i I think he was pretty early in that kind of movement as well like the women's study minor right yeah yeah let's go women's studies (laughs) let's hear fugitive oh yes good (laughs) oh my gosh have you heard that song i've never heard it before before? no oh my gosh yeah beautiful i mean i'm big on lyrics beautiful lyrics but so powerful and then at the end it kind of calms down a little bit just the way it needs to be yeah i mean musically i don't i don't hear a ton I, i feel like and from what i've heard him say or read him you know uh say in interviews it's it's a more their ethic and mm-hmm. kind of their their worldview that maybe got into his get got under his skin, whereas the Bruce Hornsby, maybe the Red House Painter stuff is is musically yeah. kind of getting under there mm. for him. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're hearing? Uh yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I thought as a musically informed person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, but the ethos for sure. The ethos of their kind of approach, the Indigo Girls. Yeah, I think that's more for him. And that's going to come back around later because he really has consistently chosen not to take the most uh, money-making or fame-inducing path uh, mm. again and again and again. And really seems to be sort of following the beat of his own drum, uh, which is, again, is something that I really, really respect about him. Yeah. So cool. So yeah. from 2001 to 2007, he releases three solo albums and mm-hmm. two DeYarman Edison albums. So we're going to start in 2001. This is the JD Vernon solo album. <laughs> so you can hear a little bit of what will become Bon Iver on this 2001 track feels like home. Uh, some of the other tracks are a bit more out of place with kind of where he would go, but, but listen to this. Road that leads me home Been on thousands of times And back when, before he was really uh, hitting the falsettos too, you know? Exactly. Yeah, he he hadn't done the falsetto thing yet. Um, But there's, you know, the way he's playing guitar, a little bit of the sort of melodic phrasing... You definitely can tell it's him, not just by the sound of his voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that's the same songwriter, just in oh, an yeah. earlier sort of less sorted out phase. I mean, he's twenty when he's making that record, Which so he's quite crazy. young. Yeah. 
Oh, I was just going to say, did you happen to listen to any of these early uh, solo albums? Like kind of dig in? I didn't dig in too far. I, I found like, you know, clips that would give some sort of a sense of it. Did you dig yeah. deep? Um, I've done a little bit of digging, not like too. <laughs> it's not like like, weird. It's not weird or anything, it's Justin. Not, it's just normal. Okay. No, I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, okay. My main music streaming platform is Spotify, like many of my generation. Uh, and, and there's not like the stuff isn't available there. So right. you kind of have to dig in, but like my, uh, Girl Scouts patch of life would be if I had listened to everything Justin Vernon had ever made. Um, I don't know, like, because he still has his magic, even in the early days, it really just hits for me. Yeah. But you really like this track, Heroin, from mm -hmm. one of these, uh, they did two DeYarman Edison records, 0405. Let's hear a clip of Heroin. It's actually Heroin, parentheses, E, close parentheses. <laughs> so it could be the drug or it could be all other women's studies minor, a, a woman hero. All right, here we go. track it's like a nice little chorus it's not like okay it's not breaking yeah. any records or anything but it's a it's a cool song well that's you know and i was just thinking because i'm now i'm getting in your brain as i'm like here we're together listening i'm like have i just listened to these things and i'm almost so biased like so prejudiced in justin vernon's favor that i'm like anything i hear i have to conform myself to like as opposed to like the other way around you know um, no, I, I don't think you're doing that. I think that his talent, like, I think we're going to hear how it really comes together by the time he gets to For Emma Forever Ago, yeah. the first Bon Iver record. It yeah, kind of locks I, in, but it's not like he was, you know, just in a funk fusion band or something <laughs> like you you can hear it. You know, you can hear yeah. what he's working with for sure. Yeah. Oh, six. The third and final Justin Vernon solo album, uh, mm -hmm. Hazeltons, um, which is both the name of the album and uh, the opening track. Uh, tell me if you recognize this guitar part. Oh, yeah. That sounds a little bit like if we were to jump forward to the self-titled. Literally the same. <laughs> it's it's actually slightly different, but you can tell that he, I mean, he wrote them both, right? So mm -hmm. he's kind of working toward this, this vibe. Uh, and it's cool to hear you know, one year before, because it's actually he's, well, he's working on, for Emma, the winter of 06 to 07. So this comes mm -hmm. out before that winter. Now, he doesn't write Holocene until another album later, but it's cool to see the connective tissue from that early sort of pre-established era. Um, 
the Hazleton song is interesting. I think it it gives a good example of how he hadn't really found the falsetto thing yet, mm, which you mm-hmm. mentioned. So here's his lead vocal in that Hazleton's track from 06. Sitting up, you counted up your names. Sitting up to bend him off the frame. It's really different, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very different vocal delivery. He eventually comes back to where he will add that in as a counterpoint to the falsetto. But it's yeah. it, it's almost jarring to hear him, you know, kind of it's almost distorting the microphone or the preamp or something. It's like really gritty. Mm, and I'm mm-hmm. just like, when I hear that guitar part, I want the softer, sensitive JV mm. and I'm not getting it and I'll get it just one year later. You know, I'm, it's, it's coming. It's coming so soon. <laughs> yes. Soon to be coming soon from a cabin near you. Yeah. So he talks in interviews about the end of DeYarm and Edison and like leaving that band behind. They continued on for a while without him taking time off, regrouping alone, going out to the cabin to write for Emma. This this regrouping thing, this is going to be a theme also throughout his career. So just want to put a pin in that. Anything to add before we get to for Emma? I mean, I I think it's hard to uh, overemphasize how <laughs> how mythical almost this whole process was. Like everyone tells like the lore of going to the cabin right. and like he had given up, like he had given up. He was like, it's not going to happen. I'm just going to take I think he was going to take the break um, and then go back to study music. Like that was kind of his plan to like teach music, not to be a musician. Right. And he kind of convinced his dad like, hey, I'm going to go. Can I just chill in the cabin? And like, you know, pre smartphones, like all he had was his like equipment and like the Northern Exposure videos, which was the series that I guess was his favorite. And I'm just like, man, like, honestly, how many people have said, oh, I want to like, I want to go do that. I want to go to the woods and make my masterpiece. (laughs) I mean, it's it's frustrating because it worked. Yes. Like, like that's the worst part about it is that like I will I will forever be plagued by dreams of Mm. decamping to some isolated place. But Kristen, you know, my personality. That would not be fucking fun for me. <laughs> it would it would not work out for me to do that. And oh it's gosh. better if I realize that it won't work and that my family will not be better off. I will not make a masterpiece. I will end up just being like, I really miss people and going and making friends at like the local dive bar because <laughs> I can't stand not talking to people. It would be a complete disaster. And so it's a bummer for me that it works so well. Of course, I'm very glad that we have the resulting album. You know, for, true. It, for it working. But yes, yeah, it's, it's total lore. And what's funny is I didn't know the lore. I no heard it way. later. Yes. And I it's like impossible that someone could have escaped hearing the lore, but yeah. I just wasn't reading anything about it. It was a year where we were just touring constantly. And okay. I think I was just not that plugged in. Again, pre-smartphones. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm just reading news on my phone every day on tour. I'm like yeah. reading books and writing new songs and you know all that stuff. He was reading books. He's educated. 
I wouldn't. I would also. We also watched the Gilmore Girls and the Van and oh. stuff like that. I mean, it's not all. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Uh, shouldn't I mean, oversell Gilmore it. Gilmore Girls. Hey, were you a women's studies major too? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was also studying philosophy in two thousand one. Wait, in are you Justin's brother? <laughs> no. Wait, Dan. Dan, before we go on, yeah. I do. I do wonder then. What's the longest you think you've ever uh, been alone? <laughs> oh my gosh. So I try and do like two night or even one night sort of, especially before having kids, mm -hmm. I would do this more regularly. Like every few months, I would just get an Airbnb or something like that for a night or two and just try and have some alone time. I've done it at monasteries a few times. Oh, wow. Which is better. I, it's a better experience than Airbnbs, but it's, you know, it's fine. I'm sure it, it helps some, but I can't really go more than a couple days without yeah. like a very strong itch to be social. Yeah. So I mean, 48 I, hours is probably my max. <laughs> I am with you as you, as you know, my personality as well, uh, fairly extroverted. However, the dream of the cabin uh, continues to live in my heart actually currently, mm -hmm. <laughs> not to make an album, I would just try and write something, which I just learned recently. Apparently, I think it was um, Harper Lee, like someone met her and then like funded a year of her not working to like write because she wanted to like something crazy like that. And again, she really only wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. So there's like, yeah, fantastical kind of myths. I mean, yeah, I'm also not I'm not uh, wed. I don't have a spouse. So if I had a spouse, I, I better never, ever freaking be alone ever. <laughs> <But> it's... <laughs> unless, unless Justin needed to be alone, in which case, no. <laughs> you would totally understand in that I case. I would completely understand. <laughs> no, but yeah. In, in my current state, I'm like, oh, I could do it. But I definitely, I would get out there and then I'd be like, crying and i'd be like please somebody come just find my cabin randomly <laughs> yeah i think like we don't have to talk too much about craft and writing and all that but definitely much more into the like hey i will just work on creative stuff from 9 a.m to 2 p.m every day and then the rest of the day do tasks hang out with my family and friends live life in a community you don't need to go to a cabin you can just set aside three to five hours of the time where your brain is working best and you can get a mm -hmm. lot of really good creative work done. You don't, yeah. you don't need to torture yourself in isolation. <laughs> and, and you know, it's, that's, it sounds like I'm sort of knocking him for doing that. I'm not, I, you know, I do wonder no knocking, if there are, I'm Justin. Oh, I'm not knocking. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wonder if there are personality things, you know, if, if certain mm -hmm. personalities do really benefit from that. I will say this. When Sherwood was writing our second record, the sort of one on the bigger label that kind of the career was hinging on, mm -hmm. our singer was like, we are going to go somewhere while we write this, Dan, because if we stay in California, you will hang out with people and not work hard <laughs> enough. Like called you out. He called, he was a singer, but I was the songwriter and he was like, okay. and I was like, you're not wrong, you know? So yeah. I agreed to it and we, we went to Mexico, which was actually cheaper than being in California <laughs> and it, it, wonderful. Like one of the greatest, like six or seven weeks of my life was being wow. down there doing that. So it worked, but he, he was right. So there's something about distractions, but now in mm -hmm. my thirties, as I approach 40, I've gotten a lot better at like, just, you know, Oh, this is the time of day when my brain works best. I'll yeah. just work on the hardest work during those hours 
and then I'll just be a regular person the rest of the day. Yeah. So if there's one thing uh, people can take away from this is the cabin is not everything. <laughs> it's not everything. Yeah. We each oh, have also- our cabins, mythical, mythical places mythical. in our minds, right? I sure hope so. <laughs> okay, but for yeah. but for JV, the cabin works. He goes there the winter of 06 yeah. to 07. He records the album for Emma forever ago, and he self-releases it in 2007. Because like you said, he's not thinking he's going to be yes. a rock star. He's going to put this thing out, get it out of his system, go study music and become a teacher. Okay, I'm, oh, I just got so stoked because I actually remembered an interview I heard with him probably, I probably listened to the interview like, I don't know, five to seven years ago. And I didn't find it again for this, but it was huge for me. And he was talking to some, it was like around when he launched that platform, People, which we'll get to, I'm sure. But he he was talking about this like, take out the outcome from work like doing stuff mm-hmm. and i was like what but like that's i mean what a justin vernon thing to say but he was like working on stuff to work on it he really seems uh to genuinely be most interested in just continuing to do cool work um, yeah and i i look up to him in that respect so seven mm-hmm. years after releasing his first solo album the indie label jag jaguar re-releases for Emma. That was Sherwood's entire recording career. Wow. Was seven years long. <laughs> he goes that long making and releasing records before a record label of any notoriety, a, a, a big, a bigger indie. I mean, it's not Capitol Records, but like a, you yeah. know, he, there's some, okay, this is going to happen. And the reason that they do re-release it is that it's blowing up as a self-release. I mean, it's just spreading by word of mouth because- yeah. It is incredible. And Mm -hmm. let's talk about this record. I want to start with Skinny Love, which is the first single. Come on, Skinny Love, just let's sing it. Pour a little salt, we will never eat. My, 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 my. Staring at the sea. And the reason I want to start with it is because I got to tell a story, a de-identified story so that nobody is embarrassed. (laughs) I once was at a wedding and these young people had gotten married because they had gotten pregnant. Okay. Nice. Now they're still married. So it's not, it's not a bad story, but she walked down the aisle to skinny love (laughs) <laughs> which is a beautiful song. It was is around this era. It's very popular. But the lyric of this chorus is, come on, skinny love, just last a year. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. Why not re-record it and say just last nine months? <laughs> I mean, and I told you to be patient. And I told you. Whenever I hear the word britches, 
<laughs> in that song, though, I think of old bushel britches <laughs> from Disney's Robin Hood. <laughs> oh, yo, Disney's Robin Hood. That's a whole other. Yeah, oof. that's its own wow. episode. Uh, we we could do an episode on the soundtrack of that. Oh my gosh, film. Roger uh, Roger Miller. Oh, oh my gosh, Uda right. Lolly. Uda Lolly. That is the name of my publishing company, and Sherwood was named after that movie. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh. my ass cap is Uda Lolly Publishing. Ass cap. Wait, no way. It really oh. is. Yes. So oh nice. Oh my gosh. Good good call there. Talk to me about Skinny Love. Wow, I was. Um, still in high school when this came out. And actually, the only way I really listened to music was begging members of my youth group to burn CDs for me or every now and then purchasing things from the iTunes store, but trying not to sin by downloading things on LimeWire. So. <laughs> oh, gosh. So the big way I listen to music was, yeah, um, either with others or 30 second samples on iTunes or every now and then getting an iTunes gift card. So, yeah, really not ideal. A but poor college, a poor high school kid with a very th- thorough conscience and guilt structure going on. Oh, so so no money to buy the records. It's before $9.99 a month. All you can stream. Yes. That would have solved things probably. Yeah, you asked for that for your birthday or Christmas for the year, and you're good, right? Would have been very nice, but <laughs> both, uh, yeah, this song, and then, I mean, even onto self titled, like that was my first, yeah, first year or so in college. So, I and then, um, yeah, I didn't get Spotify till my second year in college. So that was where it really took off. But I remember watching, slowly starting to watch Bon Iver, like music on YouTube and Skinny Love. I don't know if you uh, heard this, but there's that birdie cover that really blew up. And actually, I'm I'm about to blaspheme. There was one point, I remember I was probably 18 or 19. I was like, I really like the birdie version. And I remember a guy calling me out and being like, no, you should like the original. <laughs> I, some I, some bony yeah. bear bro. Some bony bro, bear bro. Some broy bear just <laughs> fucked up your your vibe. Oh, truly. And and I felt bad. I was like, I was like, never again will I not appreciate the original <laughs> because that was the world because I didn't major in women's studies. And so <laughs> I was uh I was ashamed of myself. But anyway, no, which it is a good Birdie does a great job. No, no uh, shade to Birdie, but I think yeah, let's that's hear let's I, hear her version real quick. Let's just oh, compare sure. while we're here. Let's get the chorus. Okay, honestly, if I knew you at this time in your life and I was your peer mm-hmm. and I had been aware of that version, which I was not aware of at the time, I might have I might have bro averred you as well. Because <laughs> that's just like that's just kind of horseshit compared to his version. Well, and I agree now. I would definitely uh say so. I don't know. 
I don't know. I think maybe I just wasn't in the zone yet, but I actually would credit that moment to the first moment I took Boney Bear more seriously. I love that. That's awesome. This is a whole other conversation. I will say, uh, unfortunately, I stole a lot of my music taste initially from all my crushes starting in high school, which did I ever tell you that I knew your band when I was in high school? I you mean, knew Sherwood? I yeah. I don't think we've talked. Because- let's, let's do it here on mic. Why not? Well, because of one of because of one of my crushes, it's literally. Oh, you were into a Sherwood fan, yeah. Oh uh, well, I mean, he got me like he got me on to like Reliant K in like uh-huh. seventh grade. Oh, it's so it's all so shameful. That's like <laughs> I'm like, what's my own taste, and what did I just acquire by um trying to? That is true of everybody's music taste, though. Yeah, it's it's siblings, it's parents, it's peers, it's people you look up to. It's freaking MTV VJs. I mean, it's yeah. like we we figure out what we like, but it takes a long time and it is almost always through conduits of other people. I don't think there's any shame in that. Well, hey, that's a great hey, that's a great perspective. <laughs> I mean, that's music is fundamentally social and human life is fundamentally social. I mean, I think it's one of the good things about music is that it's almost never experienced in a vacuum like you can listen on headphones yeah. by yourself and have a very profound experience but any band you truly love you end up having a social mm. experience with it you go to a show or you listen with friends or you talk about them like we are we are talking on yeah. microphones about a band we both love it's yeah, a social yeah. experience wow no i i like that i i was trying to talk to someone even like about recording this and like why bony bear and it's funny because i mean play the music montage of me driving around in my car like listening to bony bear by myself and having like <laughs> my own like mini you know crisis of whatever flavor romantic or otherwise uh <laughs> and i'm like it feels so close to my heart and so personal but it's true yeah. like I mean, I sent my one friend this song the other day because I hadn't, yeah, hadn't heard it in a while um, from self-titled and and immediately, you know, she texts back and she's like, oh, you know, like, yeah, it just hits. Um, so, so I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a good point. But I, I do think that's in college is when I started to be like, oh, let me take things more seriously. And yeah, getting Spotify, I got Spotify in 2012. I don't know if that's when it was released, but Another one of my crushes told me about it. So I hopped on that immediately. And then we were off to the races with unlimited <laughs> legal music. Okay. I have to tell a brief story because of this pi- pirating thing. <laughs> yeah. This is very embarrassing. I, oh my gosh. I am almost positive. I've never, I've never told this publicly other than with people. Um, okay. I was also, I had a strong conscience about pirating movies and music and all of that stuff. So (laughs) we were on tour. This would have been uh, basically around this time, probably uh, 07, 08, maybe 09. And I had a hard drive, an external hard drive that I used for, you know, song demos and and whatever, uh, photos and everything. And it it did have, I had sort of like lapsed in my pirating policy. (laughs) And I had a handful of movies and definitely a lot of records. (laughs) And I lost it one day in the RV and I looked fucking everywhere. I was like, I was like, I have looked everywhere. I know it was only in this corner of the RV. Mm -hmm. There is, there are not that many places to look. (laughs) And I legitimately was like, I think God may have taken this 
<laughs> external hard drive to send me a message to stop pirating. <laughs> dude, dude. <laughs> and, hold, I, okay. and fast forward like four years later when Nate is selling, he's getting the RV ready to sell. We've broken up. We're not touring anymore. And he finds the hard drive wedged in the most no. improbable little <laughs> corner of the seat or whatever. And he's like, hey, Dan, I don't think God was testing or judging you. I found the hard drive. Oh, gosh. Dude. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> no, but like, I well, with our, I would say our evangelical upbringing is like so real. I oh, yeah. I won't I won't tell my story about when I thought God was calling me to stop doing something, but I just I just also did. Probably so. it was sexual. Okay, uh, <laughs> but you talked about, but moving moving quickly past that, you talked about you know your own private soundtrack in the car of of uh, forlorn love or you know unrequited love, whatever. Uh, by the time any of the Bon Iver records had come out, I had met my wife, Jaffrey. We mm. had already been dating for a couple of years by the time I heard this first record. Nice. But I do have a memory. I have a sense memory of Wolves, the Wolves <sighs> Acts 1 and 2. Oh so my gosh. we did one Japan tour in 2008. And for some reason, the, the strongest musical memory I have is we had a day off or even a half day maybe in Tokyo and other, everybody else wanted to kind of hang near the venue. And I was like, fuck that. So I took the subway out to like an art museum and I just was kind of checking out this area of Tokyo. Tokyo is really like 12 cities in one, but whatever mm -hmm. area I could get to. And I just had my headphones and I was just falling in love with this record. And forever I, I will associate the, the end of the wolves with like walking around oh. Tokyo and in particular this art museum that was like all this wood and it's just a very beautiful day. We were there in the cherry blossom season in the spring. Stop. Improbably. Stop. So I'm going to play a little clip uh, of the end of the wolves act one and act two that kind of reminds me of, of that trip. Oh, please. So while most people, maybe they hear that, they think about some relationship they had or some walk they took. I think about being 18 inches taller than everybody in the subway station. <laughs> you were like... able to see clear across the station anywhere <laughs> I went. <laughs> That's hilarious. You weren't you weren't trying to call up Jaffrey and be like, "Hey, we need to break up for one day for, so I can <laughs> just so I can really feel this song." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, no, well, I also, wasn't. that song is in, have you seen The Place Beyond the Pines? I love The Place Beyond the Pines. Dude. Okay. So I, so it is in that song and I realized, I I think I was, I actually think I was watching that one clip from The Notebook on some, on like Instagram or something It came up, but because Justin Vernon's been in my head, I think I inadvertently tied Ryan Gosling and Justin Vernon together as like connected in my brain. It sure sounds which... like you did. <laughs> <laughs> Just broadly speaking, Kristen. 
I mean, they're the two hottest men who have ever lived. Okay. Uh, at some point, we got to talk about the baldness thing. <laughs> but, hey, we'll get there. We'll Interesting get choices. Anyway, okay. Hot for, yeah. yeah, hot for different reasons. Yeah. Hot for different reasons. But, but yeah, powerful in that movie. And I remember, yeah, uh, feeling emotional. I think that came out like, I think like 2013 or 14 or something. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a few years later, but yeah, I, I mean, the other thing, um, I'm just like all songs Bon Iver make could just be in movies and make the movies feel what you need to feel. <laughs> well, he's done. We're going to get to it as we go through, but oh. he's done a lot of songs for soundtracks. That's true. That's true. Actually. Yeah. Let's we'll he get seems there. to say yes to that a lot. So, so that's going to come up at various points. Um, yeah. I just really quickly, I got to tell a place beyond the pines story. Oh, let's freaking go. Okay. So I was, uh, the one time I've seen Brandon flowers solo in concert, Whoa. he talked about this song, digging up the heart, which is my favorite Brandon flowers song as it happens. Okay. And he says, well, first of all, let me, let me play it. I'll play mm -hmm. the part of the song that I think he's talking about. So the lyric is, you can hear the train when you're in the cage, uh, you know, when you finally put the asphalt to the tire. And what he said on stage is the single, my single favorite sentence anybody has said to describe a song. He said, I watched that movie, Place Beyond the Pines, and I sat down to write this song. And I was aiming for Place Beyond the Pines, but I ended up with Raising Arizona. <laughs> Oh it's my god. So true. There's a little wow. bit of the lyric in there that you're like, oh yeah, that's what he was going for, but it is like a Coen Brothers comedy yes. as a song. <laughs> it is like such a silly 80s pop song. And I just thought oh that's great. Gosh. You know, he's self-aware. Okay, that's that's my uh Brandon Flowers detour there from no, Place Beyond great. the Pines. I wrote it down. Um, yeah. Okay, so before we move on from for Emma, what uh which song hits hits for you? the most in this uh in this time after reviewing it i want to talk about restacks which i know you also wanted to talk about that's oh. one that always that hit me then it, it still hits me now let's play a little clip and and talk about that track please So good. I love it. And I also hate it because he makes every sensitive guy who considered maybe even just one women's studies class or whoever <laughs> pulled out an acoustic guitar at a campfire in the hopes of melting a woman's heart. He makes us think that we could succeed at this. <laughs> it sounds so effortless when he does it, you know? 
But yes. we can't do it like him. He's special. He's he, a one. He's a one in a generation. He certainly is. Yes, correct. Um. Yeah. I uh, I pulled some people about lyrics and stuff, and this was uh, the end line from Stax. It or yeah, the one line is "Your love will be safe with me," which is also like, but the way it's delivered, I'm like, oh my gosh. I actually, uh, I used to have a praying playlist a playlist for praying <laughs> with lyrics well one was like explosions in the sky so like some yeah, instrumental stuff. yeah 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 but uh this song was on there for sure and it kind of it kind of wound down prayer time but it was like oh yeah god loves me <laughs> my, is lo- my love is safe that's how i felt i, I love stoked. that i love that man i'm Your like, love looking is like safe such a nerd oh yeah man it's hard it's hard when you're like also like the lack the lyrics are like and the stacks in the backs and the stacks of your love and you're like yeah those are yeah but also no the thing okay let's let's talk a little bit about his lyrics so because i think it's going to keep coming up mm-hmm. i'm not going to talk about them that much because to me they are often sort of the meaning of them is nonsensical but i love the cadence the syntax, the syllables and vowels. Like I love the aesthetics of his lyrics, but I yeah. usually do not connect to them emotionally because I don't know what the hell he's saying. I'm okay with yeah. that. Like I, I'm I'm happy to have some artists like that in my life, but you're not that way. You, you seem to really, so I'm interested to hear a bit more about that. Yeah. Well, the crazy thing is, do you know, do you know how he made the lyrics on these albums? Did you, or this first one? Did you? Okay. So again, research heavy preparation. Uh, This is from page two of the handwritten notes, page one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he, he page one, well, it's for Emma. We're starting at the beginning. Yeah. Um, He actually said he basically came up with the, you know, melody first, blah, 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 on the guitar. And then kind of like, jibber jabbered until he found things that kind of sounded like lyrics yeah he then recorded himself and then he said what is that what words do those jibber jabbers sound like and then he wrote the lyrics like from the nonsensical stuff into real words which i'm like that's bonkers and silly so why no i think that that (laughs) so okay here's my take go for it i'm not trying to sort of like as a songwriter, I'm not trying to bro of air you here. Uh. <laughs> However, I think that's actually quite common. Uh, I've heard a lot of artists do that. I have done that as a songwriter because okay. what your brain is doing is, I think, it's coming up with syllables that sound good with a melody that you're kind of coming to, right? Hmm. So that's actually, a, I think, a pretty natural process for a songwriter. You start there. Hmm. You have some notes and there's some sounds that just feel right. You can't always make those work because there's maybe not a word or a set of words that really match or they don't go with the other lyric that really is working, you know. Mm -hmm. But what I think is so weird about his lyrics is that that was the beginning. From there, (laughs) the trajectory (laughs) is like is into space with like, you know, now he just makes up words. He just makes up words. And, and I, and I love it. I'm like, hell yeah, man, go for it. But it does change sort of my content interaction with the the words. Right. Yeah. Well, I think the reason I'm going to, I'm pulling out my note page to dig in here uh, a tiny bit because 
what has always astounded me, and this is part of the reason I'm so stoked on this guy, is despite the lyrics not making sense, they also do. And they Mm. also, like, I don't, and again, it's hard to not completely understand uh, maybe the music theory behind this, but like, I listen and I can say, oh, I know what this means, or it feels like meaning laden in a way that is, it's almost just shocking and it's so consistent. But then there's little tiny, like almost quotables, I would say, in Mm -hmm. some of the lyrics, like, um, some of the ones well, I would say if someone's going back and listening to all albums in one night, as I did, uh, in preparation <laughs> a long or just night. for fun. Oh yeah. Lots of tears. Uh, there's like in lump sum, like he talks about like inertia. I was like, Oh, freaking lump sum is what this album. It's like the story. It's like the story of him making the album. I was like, I get it. Um, in, uh, creature fear. I actually, another fun fact, I straight up, there's a line that says so many territories ready to reform, which again, didn't know probably the first 100 times I listened to the song. I freaking made a painting <laughs> with those lyrics in the backdrop <laughs> because I was like, this is everything. Like the territories are ready to reform. I mean, yeah, it just, <laughs> it just gets me, man. I love it. And then, um, well, for Emma, for all your lies, you're still very lovable. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, That's great. It's, ugh. So I don't know. It is bizarre, but it's also powerful. And I almost wish, yeah, uh, maybe the linguists could dig in a bit there too with some of the ways that the words connect. But I'm like, yeah, it like it got me all over again. And I, after I knew how he made the lyrics. And for all of us mama's boys, I am my mother's only one. It's, a, it's enough. As a, as a, as a, you know, now a, a approaching middle-aged man who's had secure attachment to my mother and father, uh, you know, from my childhood, I'm like, it is enough. You know, my brother is also, I'm not my mom, my mother's only one, but you know, it's, are you, I, I don't know. I like are you that. her favorite one? Are you her We're not going to go into that. I don't need to speculate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to speculate here. All right. Well, let's let's move to 2009 because yes. we got lots to talk about. In 2009, next year, follows it up with an EP, the Blood Bank EP. Uh, my favorite track on this is the title track, Blood Bank. Let's play a little clip mm-hmm. from that. Wondering if any other colors So beautiful. Met you at the blood bank. We were looking at the bags. What the fuck? Dude, Kristen, I know. I who can know. come up with a line like that? I know. This okay. Here's my hot take. I was gonna hold it till later no, on and talk about this. Please. If I had one album and I was on an island, one Bon Iver album, it might be this EP. Whoa. That's how much I love it. I That's know. A hot take. Yeah. I know, but I I mean Everything 
Blood Bank, Beach Baby, and Babies all hit so hard. And yeah, I like they're they're different too. I mean, Blood Bank's a story. Beach Beach Baby's like, I don't know, like they're just oh, it's man, words, words fail. But yes, yeah. it's amazing. Um, and it's fully winter feeling, I would also say. <laughs> Which the artwork uh, justifies. And of course, Blood Bank has the song Woods, which I don't think is an overstatement to say that this is the song that launched the second phase of his career, basically. Mm. So you've heard it. If you haven't heard it, you've heard it probably elsewhere. Like, for Mm. instance, when Kanye samples it, which we'll get to. So here's Woods. Sometimes we think that our stuff would be great if we just had the right gear, the right budget, you know, the fanciest tools. What Justin Vernon had was a laptop with GarageBand, (laughs) where if you turned the auto-tune all the way up, it sounded like that. And he's like, huh, what could I do with that? It's, there is nothing fancy or expensive about that. It's not a vocoder. It's just cheap auto-tune turned to 100. And it, you know, it's the, it's the T-Pain kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like from that, he builds eventually later in the song this. It's like, okay, Rembrandt, all you've got is a pencil. What are you going to do with that? (laughs) Oh, man. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It is. Yeah. Especially, it is funny. Putting them right next to each other, you don't even realize how much it's building when you listen, you know? Oh, it just builds and builds and builds. Yeah. Wow. So that same year, he and some friends start another group or put out a record by, you know, first record by their group, Volcano Choir. It's Mm. artier, it's more instrumental heavy, um, but the track still on that Volcano Choir record samples Woods. So here is the first of the Woods samples we will hear in this episode. So he's already thinking, ah, what, you know, can I take this piece, wrap it differently? You know, it's essentially sampling. Do you think Kanye heard the Volcano Choir track? Or do you think he only heard Woods? Because Bon Iver had become quite popular at that point. Good question. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I'm inclined to speculate 
that he would just hear the Bon Iver version because I didn't even hear Volcano Choir till like, I didn't even dig in probably till 2017 or so. And that was like, I would, I mean, I was big on 20 to a million, which was 2016. So yeah, yeah, I would say not as well known. And also it kind of goes with that underlying kind of added whatever it it has a different enough feel yeah whereas the kanye version i would say is more like redolent of the original well before we jump ahead because kanye will be the next year we're still in 2009 we're still Mm -hmm. talking about this volcano choir record unmap you like the song island is at least for one reason is a particular lyric did i tell you this when it all went a fuck Okay, so I did, <laughs> I texted you, I texted you about fuckified, but that's yeah. from, but that's from another song. That's a difference. Oh, so maybe this is. I'm just looking at my notes, and I think I found I liked this lyric, and maybe I just was, maybe I was responding to your fuckified text with my own when it all went yeah. to fuck. So let's let's listen. Let's listen, and then yeah. let's chat about it. I stand for Volcano Choir too. It does feel distinct, you know? It feels different. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, but I couldn't tell you why, except for the tambourine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I think you could, you could probably draw a line. That starts around the Blood Bank EP and this Volcano Choir record, something that they share. And I like you, I didn't hear Volcano Choir till a little bit later. But what they do share is he's feeling very comfortable experimenting. Hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of uh, indie folk kind type of artists get, they can very easily get pigeonholed. Right. Mm, like, mm-hmm. like a lot of fans don't want to hear Iron and Wine do his kind of soul record. They didn't like hearing Dylan go electric. I mean, all oh. the way back to the 60s, you know, they they want to hear the acoustic Sufjans. Like, when will Sufjan do another acoustic record? Okay, finally, Carrie and Roll, thank you. We <laughs> yes. just wanted that from you, man. Can you just give us your guitar <laughs> and your vocal, you know? And and yeah. he very quickly was like, okay, so I have a massive primarily acoustic guitar and vocal record, I will now make sure that I experiment widely beyond that palette. Hmm, and yeah. that doesn't always work, you know? Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Do you think that's just um, like, yeah, mainly his just personal, I guess, well, that's kind of what we're saying, his personal preference. He's like, let's dabble. He's down to- I think he's a dabbler. Down to dabble. He's a dabbler. He, he's, he's DTD. He's definitely down to dabble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You'll, you'll, you'll catch him dabbling if you... <laughs> the man will be dabbling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love him. No, but him. I do think that he really... I think he loves the creative process and wants to be involved in it very widely. And yeah. I, I am not comparing myself in the quality of my work to him. I mean, I can't even tell you apart, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... I do, I, uh, I resonate with that desire and that kind of approach to doing creative writing type work mm, yeah, is yeah. I do want to be in 
five different projects at once and I want to try new things. So I get that. Um, He's just a lot better at it than I am. We don't need to compare. It's not a race. (laughs) Do you think Justin Vernon (laughs) is recording his own three and a half hour Sherwood podcast episode (laughs) right now? Right now. (laughs) Because I think he's not. And that shows the real situation. I mean, what's Jaffrey doing? Maybe she's commenting right now. (laughs) No. Um, But yeah, I mean, I. I well to uh, bring in a few more fun facts as that is my primary uh, addition to this podcast. <laughs> Something I liked when I was listening to some of his interviews was how I mean how fondly he does speak of just creating music and how like true a true love for it. And yeah. he talks about the spaces they record in and being in the studio. He has this place called April Base in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. They bring people in and I guess like sometimes they like even will have people, I don't know, crash there, crash nearby. And I'm like, it's kind of cool because it's, again, this element of place, not only is that evidenced in song titles and stuff, but it's, yeah, something that he builds into in his own personal life. But that also, I think, goes to, you know, he was like loath to speak of his music creation as work, which Mm. this is me being picky and just a... A normal person, a non-music, non-musician, regular person. He, like, I think there are some artists I've heard who will be like, well, I just love to work and I can't wait to get back to, you know, my job. And I'm like, yes, I recognize you make money. Many people, it is what they do. However, for many people, it's like he, he was recognizing what a gift it is to be able to mm-hmm. make music. And that yeah. was after, you know, fame, this was like years of doing it. And I'm like, yeah. man, to see that to see that he continues to hold like it's kind of preciousness and difference. Like, and he used to be like a cook in a, in a kitchen, which is, I don't know if you've ever worked in a kitchen. Like that's a crowd, man. Like it's a, I haven't worked in a kitchen, but I worked front of house at some restaurants Mm -hmm. and that's a whole vibe. Like you can, you can get into that culture and that is like, for many people can even be like, they didn't make their dream. And that's the fallback. Mm-hmm. So like, that's almost like coming from nothing, you know, mm-hmm. man, just so much respect. So later in 09, he writes and records the song Big Red Machine with Aaron Desner of The National, which comes out on the Dark Was the Night, Dark Is the Night compilation. Mm. I'm not going to play that track, but remember that name, Big Red Machine. <laughs> we'll come back later. 2010, enter... Now that we're recording this, the mo- one of the most vilified recent pop superstars really taking some insane turns. Uh, yeah. Ho- Holocaust denial? Didn't see that. That wasn't on my bingo sheet for Kanye. No. But what we're not we're not talking we're not talking about that. <laughs> we're talking about 2010 Kanye in the context mm-hmm. of Bonavera's career, and it's important in that context. So This is the year after the Blood Bank EP, and Kanye invites Justin out to Hawaii, where he's got a compound set up set up for I don't for a long time, and very collaborative process of making his maximalist masterpiece, My Dark Twisted Fantasy, Lost in the World, almost an entire minute. The first minute of the song is just essentially Woods by Bon Iver. So nuts. It is incredible that he gave him a full minute 
of runtime on a Kanye <laughs> record. Amazing. Right? Yeah. Dude. And then the hook comes in, you know, around 108, we get the Kanye overdub, the slight lyric mm-hmm. change. We get the little auto-tune JV vocal sample. Let's hear that when, when everything drops. I'm in the city and I'm down for the night, down for the night, she's down for the Who will survive in America? Yeah, that comes back in on the on the final track. And and Justin is also in the choir of something like 20 mostly very famous singers all contributing to this big gang vocal section on the opening track Dark Fantasy. I think he's getting some ideas as he sees this massive layered super collaborative album process but here let's hear dark fantasy yeah can we get much higher Okay, okay, can't get can't go too oh, far down that road. Dude. Oh, <laughs> can't, I know. can't let myself listen to that record too much. That was my <laughs> that was the first Kanye album I got into. Same crush that got me into Sherwood and Reliant K. So bless, bless. Really wide wide range taste, that guy. Man, like it really so incredible. Yeah. He amazing. keeps collaborating. And the same year as the Kanye record. The Gangs record comes out, G-A-Y-N-G-S. Uh, the first single was The Gaudy Side of Town. Hell yeah. I love this song. Such a vibe. Um, all right. These are my confessions. Uh, <laughs> this is the one album I've not dabbled with personally. Oh, really? Okay. I, well, actually, I, got, I have a few thoughts about it. So yeah. that, that's fine. Go for it. So they did a really cool thing on this record. Uh, I remember reading about it at the time. They had enough songs at this one particular tempo. Uh, I think they mentioned a band called 10CC. I think that's who it was, like an 80s kind of synth mm-hmm. pop band. And it's this mid-tempo groove. And they were like, let's just make the whole album the exact same tempo. So <laughs> every song on that record is the same speed. The drums Dude. are playing the same speed. And what that leads to is I think it's the second single, certainly one of the focus tracks, Cry, which is my favorite song on the album, I am almost positive, and I can, I'm going to give some evidence, that this is a slowed down recording of a faster tempoed song. I don't know way. Here are the receipts. I will first play for mm-hmm. you a sped up version that I did <laughs> in my audio software. Okay. Nice. I put it into a sampler and I played it one full step faster. So it sounds like this if you speed it up. You don't know how to my pain. You don't know 
still sounds a little bit to me like it's a little bit slowed down and slow. And I think there are some pitched up vocals, some pitched down vocals, maybe sped up or slowed down, kind of obscuring the speed thing. But listen to the actual album version. sing like that Kristen that's a slowed down recording I guess you've never heard me sing uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Do you hear the, it? yeah the first sounded way more normal but uh-huh. I like the slowed down version oh, it's cooler I love it <laughs> I, I agree it totally works but I at the time I was like that's crazy they just slowed the whole thing down uh, wow. but I really love the way that uh, actually slowing down Sample sounds like my my electronic project, Havana Swim Club. Almost every single sample, main sample, that kind of starts out one of those songs, they're almost always slower. And I mm. there's something about uh, what it does to a waveform. I don't know. It's nerdy shit. We don't have to go down that path. Ooh. But uh, it sounds warm and deep, like snares go, you know, instead of bah. Have you ever, do you do like psychology of music stuff? You know, it's it's a frontier question for me. I don't yet. Wow. I'd like the to get there. The unexplored, the next yes. frontier. That's the next frontier, yeah. <laughs> oh anyway, I love that Gangs record. It's really cool. It's very chill. It it really sounds like they were smoking a lot of weed. The logo I mean, of the album cover is some sort of modified cannabis leaf, it appears. <laughs> wow, all right. Don't you, do you see that? Look it up right now and tell me that's not a cannabis leaf. Oh, I see. Yeah. Modified wheat. Although I wouldn't have known that because I'm innocent. So, <laughs> but you, I mean, that is what it is, right? Um, I mean, if that's what you see, Dan, then <laughs> no, no the think, little think, small think, leaves on the bottom. You know, I think the, you're correct. Okay. Yes. I think, I think you're okay. correct. Although I still will say I would not have put that together if I just saw it on my own. Well, some of us have lived some life. Some of us have lived. Other of us (laughs) sit at home and just look at pictures of Bonnie Bear's tattoos. (laughs) All right. We will see you next week for part two of my conversation with Kristen, walking through Justin Vernon's illustrious career. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you have friends who also love Bon Iver, please share this with them. That's the best way to spread the word at this point, early on in the show's uh, run, career. I don't know what you call it for a show or podcast. All right. See you guys next week. Bye.